You are tuned into a Heads and Tails NFL Injury Report, where each week we discuss the latest injuries and sports health buzz surrounding the league in an attempt to make football safer to play at all levels. Dr. Wazim Bush provides expert medical insight, while my buddy Josh Boyd keeps us up to date on all current events and provides play-by-play analysis. And my name is Kevin Song, and I provide the perspective of a former player with a passion for changing a football culture that nearly took my life. If this is your first time to the show, I recommend checking out some of the athlete and expert interviews that we have previously published on this podcast. For detailed show notes and videos from this episode, go to headsandtails.org backslash injury reports. Welcome back to an all new episode of the Heads and Tails Injury Report. Um, We're currently in week 14 of the NFL season for 2018. Um, We're in a new location. Slash old location for some. Good acoustics Whoa. in here. Great acoustics in the new apartments. Yeah. Beautiful loft. Yeah. Thanks. Big windows. This uh, episode is also brought to you by Tito's Burritos in Morristown. <laughs> little, little, ah, Tito's. A little dust on the ceiling fan, though. That's got to be cleaned up. That was Waz. <laughs> what can I say? It's in a very precarious place <laughs> that's, like, <laughs> impossible to clean, I, I think. Couldn't reach it. Hence Not why totally there's enough. dust on it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway. So this week we're going to talk about week 14 injuries as per usual. Uh, Then we'll move on to uh, talking about some uh, complications that Alex Smith is experiencing with his surgery. Uh, Could have some career-ending implications. Uh, We're going to talk about some talks of the punt being altered uh, in future seasons and what the NFL is doing to kind of generate ideas for that. Uh, We're going to call out Gronk for looking real slow. We'll touch on some fines from last week, uh, the NFL way to play, player of the week for week 13, and we're going to finish with an interesting conversation uh, about, it's really about an article that was written by a former NFL player, Nate Jackson, um, played for the Broncos. Josh, when did he play? Uh, He was a rookie in 2003 to 2009. Okay. Uh, And... I read his book. He wrote a book called, uh, I mean, whatever. I'll get into it at that point in time. <laughs> but anyway, he talks about uh, Merrill Hodges' new book, Brainwash, which we discussed a few episodes ago. Um, so let's start off like we do, like we normally do. We got our first injury up is Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Ben Roethlisberger uh, with a rib injury. Uh, I'll let Josh take this one because there's some some drama associated with it. I don't really I don't really want to talk about the Steeler game, but I guess it's my job here on the podcast. I'm, I'm forced against my will to talk about it. Um, Steelers are terrible. They're the worst team in football. Um, Roethlisberger got hurt. <clears throat> so uh, he got hurt in the first half of the game. I think it happened um, on – pretty much to start a drive towards the start of the second quarter. They never really said for sure, but he took a sack uh, in the red zone early in the second quarter, played the rest of the second quarter. Um, They scored a touchdown with about 10 seconds left before halftime. He went in early um, to go to the locker room. Um, He's done that. He does that a lot. A lot of players do that now. There's 10 seconds left. They knew he was not getting the ball back, so he went in early. Now, when it gets interesting, he didn't come back out to start the second half. so they had their backup quarterback um, start the second half for the Steelers. Um, and he ended up coming out of the locker room with about eight minutes left in the third quarter and didn't go back in the game um, for three more series after that. So by the time he actually came back in the game, there was six minutes left in the fourth quarters. And this whole time he was on the sideline with his hat on, no helmet, 
um, and they said it was just a rib injury. Um, they put him back. They were winning this whole time, and then once they gave up the lead late in the fourth quarter, then they put him back in the game. Uh, he drove him down the field. They scored a touchdown. They ended up losing anyway. But um, it's, I guess it's just much more dramatic for Pittsburgh fans because a lot of it was if he was healthy enough to come back in the game at all, why did it? Why did they wait for them to lose the lead and before they put him in? So there was a lot of uh, questioning. It was it his decision? Was it the coach's decision? Was it the doctor's decision? Like what was um, right? What like was going if on? it was bad enough to hold him out, right. why all of a sudden when you're losing is then it okay put to him put him in? So uh, today their their coach has the, his weekly press conference. So we they, he shed some more light on the story at least a little bit. At least, regardless of how true this is, this was basically his reasoning. So. <laughs> He said in Oakland at their shitty old stadium, pardon my language, um, they only have one x-ray room. So I don't know how prevalent this is throughout the NFL. I'm assuming most of these new stadiums have x-ray rooms in both locker rooms. Um, I would imagine. I, I don't know for sure. But Oakland only has one x-ray room. So Ben went in early in the half. He, first of all, he had to wait to get his x-ray done on his ribs. Second of all – They had um, like some grandma – like who broke her hip that was wheeled in there. I don't know, but there's, I guess there was somebody was in there already. So he had to wait. <laughs> and then secondly, they said that the x-ray machine, was like really outdated and old and the results were inconclusive based on the x-ray. So a lot of it was, they weren't necessarily sure if he had broken a rib, what his, what his injury was. So they weren't sure how much, if he could do more damage, if he could, there was a lot of uncertainties about his injury. So that's, I think that's was his main reason of why he didn't put him back in the game right away. And they were just kind of trying to slide by without having to. And then when they lost the lead, I guess he was just like, F it, go back in the game now. So it's, it was a very, very weird situation. Um, I just, I don't know. They lost. So they messed it up. <laughs> Moral of the story. Definitely, definitely a weird situation. I mean, I, for him to have returned, I, I'm not sure that it it had to have been that serious. And they've got some pretty damn good uh, medical staff and medical personnel on that team. You know, the x-rays in, in many circumstances can be inconclusive and can be difficult to show a cracked rib. Um, and if they thought it was something more serious where they're going to hold him out, then maybe they were thinking, hey, maybe... Maybe this guy kind of, um, uh, there was evidence that, hey, he had maybe punctured the lung a little bit or had a little bit more of a contusion or something like that. But, you know, I, I think that's all bullshit. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit on it. I mean, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't see that that explanation is the reason as to why he didn't go in. There had to have been something else going on with him. Um, with and the injury. With well, the injury. And I, if it was yeah. that serious, they wouldn't have let him go in later I, on and I don't, I, to and take any hits. I don't think it – honestly, well, this is just me as a Steeler fan talking. I don't think it had much to do with the injury itself. Um, he, From what they said even after the game, he was cleared to return to the game when he got back on the field. So for 12 minutes of game time and an hour of real time, he was cleared to go back to the game, and it was the coach's choice to not put him back in. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it was Tomlin either trying to prove a point or I don't know, something unrelated to, obviously it's related to the injury, but not, um, related to it in the fact of 
Um, it could have been something. It, it could have been a different injury. It could have been something else. It could have been worse. I tend um, to agree with you on I that. Think, uh, you know, there's been so much going on with the Steelers as a whole. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Tomlin trying to make yeah. a point about something or the other yeah, to his players. From no, no, nothing to back this up or not, but, I mean, Ben has has a reputation for um, calling out coaches, calling out players, basically um, acting like a coach without being a coach. And I think this was maybe Tomlin's uh, opportunity to kind of be like, okay, I'm the boss here. This is, this is, I, I make the decisions. And ultimately this one kind of backfired and could cost them season, really. So but. Maybe in lieu of uh, Aaron Rodgers and his relationship with McCarthy, maybe something like that. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's you the know. thing. You just, you, you never know if it's, if it has something to do with their relationship or uh, Ben being a diva about injuries always, but I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll probably, diva. We'll probably, never, probably <laughs> never know. All right. So a lot of discussion surrounding that one that we don't even really know what the injury was. <laughs> uh, and he's, and he said he's fine to play this week. Yeah. So I, I think he'll be back. Yeah. It's tough to see that Ben misses a, a game against the Patriots. I think he had a poop. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, <laughs> he was still on the field. Yeah. <laughs> still a touchy subject. I'm not. Poopsies in the pants. <laughs> Need the blue tent. Porter John in the blue tent. Uh, okay, next injury up is uh, Miami Dolphins quarterback Ryan Tannehill uh, with an ankle injury. Yeah, he just... Uh, it, uh, it, he's been hurt. He's been hurt all year. Yeah. He came back in and played. It just the most significant was, I guess, the, he was uh, limping significantly after game. But it was uh, more so from the game standpoint. They were on the they won on a basically hook and lateral, bunch of different laterals uh, on the last play of the game to win the game. Um, but he was kind of limping around pretty good. Yeah, it it just looked like he rolled his ankle. I mean, he was limping at the end of the game. You know, standard ankle things. Once you stop moving or you take off your sneaker or something like that. It's going to swell, get stiff, and then, you know, just going to blow up on you. Hard to believe that he'll necessarily miss another game. I didn't see anything that say to suggest that it was kind of high ankle or anything like that. Likely they'll tape him up pretty good, and he'll play this week. It is interesting that when you do roll your ankle, like, if you keep moving, yeah, you're fine. But as soon as you stop, it's, like, terrible. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we can talk about the Gronk thing now that we are on that game at least. But True. on that last play, oh my god, how slow did Gronk look? <laughs> I mean, that's uh, and to me, it's not even. Yeah, he it it he it looked a lot. I don't think that has anything to do with his health or anything else. It's just that he's on. De- they put him on defense. That's a terrible spot yeah. for him to be in. Uh, they did that to themselves. I I think it's just. I understand why he's in in that package, right? He's the biggest guy on the field. He's there to knock down a Hail Mary, right? right? Uh, so if they have the ball, if the Dolphins have the ball at the 50 instead of their own 30 and their quarterback can throw a long pass into the end zone, uh, he can probably serve his purpose because as a rece- as a tight end, as a receiver, he can track the ball and he's the tallest one out there to knock it down. But now when they're not throwing a Hail Mary and they're throwing laterals and now he turns into someone who has to make a tackle um, – like he's he's never ever ever in that position, well, so it's a it it it's it's a it's a tough spot. For yeah, him. I mean, I I think injuries have slowed him down. I think it's it's in general, yeah. You know, in yeah. general, yeah. you know, it's pretty obvious. I agree with Josh in terms of the position that he was in, but at the same time, I you know, I'm gonna say that, that definitely he looked 
slow. His role is no longer to beat you off the line and, and go down the field like that. You know what I mean? His, his role is a big body and using his hands that, you know, he's got great catching ability, athletic ability. Um, and, you know, he's still going to be Gronk and be a, a, a bit fast. He's a freak athlete. But, yeah, I, I think he's lost a step. Yeah. I mean... It was kind of watching like an old car just getting started <laughs> yeah. and just yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to his defense, it wasn't really a fair matchup yeah. Uh, yeah. in his favor. Yeah. Uh, but I just felt like we've been talking about him getting banged up all season. And to me, this is just like a, a visual but, representation of like just looking very slow. Plus, you got to remember, he, he's the last injury that he's coming off of is that quad contusion. So, yeah. you know, stopping and going yeah. like that. This uh, is good if it's putting bad. I, I agree that he has looked slow in general. Yeah. Um, but I think there's just a good of a chance that if they put him in this position six years ago before all the injuries, the same same thing could have could have happened. It's just, you just, you're not, you're not used to, you're not used to attacking a ball carrier and making a tackle like that. Yeah. I think he could have just like, and especially there in the end of the game, you just kind of like, he probably realizes, Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't tackle him, we're going to lose the game. And you almost kind of freeze up. Not what I expected to be out here doing. No. <laughs> uh, all right. Next injury is uh, Washington Redskins tight end, Jordan Reed with a foot injury. This one is, I, I feel bad. Jordan Reed gets hurt every yeah. year, multiple times a year. And we've talked about all year about guys getting rolled up on and getting legs caught in piles. I mean, maybe it was just a bad angle of it. But the video clip that we have, it looks like a fly bit him in the ankle. Like, I, feel, <laughs> I feel bad. Like, yes, he got kind of, he got rolled up on by, yeah. uh, he's, he's blocking and there's an offensive lineman going to the ground trying to block for, uh, on a running play and he gets uh, rolled into yeah. a little bit. But it's not nearly as uh, bad, it's not nearly as uh, as gruesome looking as some of the other injuries that we've seen this year. And he didn't come back in the game and he's probably going to be out for a couple of weeks. I feel like he's the proverbial bubble boy. You know, every year you always see him. I think there was a funny tweet out with uh, Josh Josh Reed after every year, and he's in a full body cast and head to toe. And uh, I, I think it kind of describes him. I feel bad for him. I, you know, it, it it's unfortunate that he uh, suffers so many injuries. In this, I think there's a still frame on one of the Twitter posts that shows the majority of his ankle kind of rolled underneath the uh the defender like his foot and he was able to slip it out really quick which is which is great but obviously in a lot of discomfort um you know the the report is a sprained foot quote unquote and whenever people say that it it just means that there's some sort of ligamentous damage and all of these sprains are one to three grading schemes and one mild, which is, you know, some micro-tearing, two moderate, which is uh, some partially torn ligaments, and then three is a, um, a severe tear or fully torn um, uh, ankle sprain. Uh, we need more details. I, you know, it, it depends on where he is. He could be on any one of these spectrums and uh, limping about the way that he was because it was an acute injury and had like a 300 pound man roll over him but yeah it does look like somebody just bit him in in the ankle and then he went down but uh it always seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time something bit me just shot up under me <laughs> all right next injury we got uh baltimore ravens quarterback lamar jackson with an ankle injury same thing with this there's not too much information and it happened on 
the third to last play of the game. So um, they're playing the Chiefs. They were in overtime. Uh, he got – I don't remember if he got sacked or he got he threw it away and he got, I think he got sacked. Um, there might have been a penalty on the play too, but he just got uh, – he was scrambling out of the pocket, got taken down by, uh, by one of the Chiefs defenders, and uh, he missed the third down play and the fourth down play. So they obviously – um, he had about fourth and 20, and when the fourth down pass was incomplete, the game was over. So he missed the final two plays of the game. Um, I guess more so with this is just how Lamar Jackson plays and the offense that the Ravens run with him. I mean, he's not a, your prototypical drop-back passer um, in the NFL. I mean, he runs – he's probably the – he's I wouldn't say probably. He is the fastest quarterback in the league right now. He flies. Um, and the Ravens use that. And he runs 15 to 20 times a game yeah. on designed runs and uh, and runs on designed passes. So uh, any injury to his leg or mobility really influences um, not only the Ravens' offense, but uh, his effectiveness too because he's not someone that's going to be able to – okay, his ankle's hurting so he can't run. He's not someone that's going to be able to just sit back in the pocket and – and, and beat you. So um, they're not in the position to really alter how they want to play if he's the one who's going to play quarterback um, so much. Yeah, I'd, I'd also agree. I think it's the nature of the beast with a running quarterback like this. Um, and like you said, 15 to 20 runs, that's that's a running back's load right there. And Lamar isn't necessarily the biggest of guys either, no. you know, um, to to absorb those hits. Um, I feel like you're just going to constantly see him uh, uh, go down with these types of things unless they change the way that they uh, p- approach the game with him. And he's more than likely not going to miss a start. I mean, you know, he's had to wait to, to kind of get in there and prove that he can be there. There's no way he's going to try to tough it out, unfortunately, and and not miss a game from this. The the problem for for them and for him is interesting because it's very similar to RG three, and RG three mm-hmm. is actually their backup, their backup backup now behind Flacco. Um, RG three actually came in and threw the last two passes in overtime, but they're just in the same way RG three was as a rookie for the Redskins. It's so hard for these teams to want to change how they're running the offense because they're just so effective and they're so much better when they're running it um, the way that they're the Ravens are running it right now with him getting out and running the read option and using his legs and running 15 times a game they're winning games and he's productive so it's it's really hard until an injury happens to be like okay let's change all right we don't want you to run you know what I mean so and that's the kind of the problem that the Redskins ran into with uh, RG3, his, his, his rookie year. He was so effective running the ball that they didn't want to do anything different. And eventually he got hurt to the point where he was never even the same quarterback. Yeah, the funny part is when I saw RG3 play in some of the, the preseason games and so on, he looks good. Yeah. He looks real good. I mean, he looks Heisman fast. Trophy winner. Well, it took him, yeah, yeah, I mean, he looks he's, fast. He's he not looks bad. crisp. <laughs> took him three years of, of no football to get healthy. Yeah. That's but, the, but that's the way it works with these guys. So yeah. be interesting to see if uh, somebody gives them a chance. Yeah, I think they, injuries, they people, I think people have such high expectations for these athletes to come back in the year time frame that, you know, so many guys do come back. But I don't think that's like a fair assumption to make for everyone. 
You know, not yeah. everyone comes back in the same amount of time. Um, it's expected in the fans, and not just football, in every sport. No, yeah. I understand that, but I don't think it's a fair expectation. No, it's definitely yeah. not. Yeah, you always think of them as freak athletes, every one of them, right? So yeah. you expect their healing powers to be so so much different. Uh, next injury up is uh, Los Angeles Chargers running back Austin Eckler with a possible concussion. I know he went. He went out. I think he. I think he came back into the game. I think. But um, Maz, you got more. This is this fake yeah. news? I don't see a Twitter link here in the outline. No, Ooh, no Twitter link. I don't know. I think what ended up happening was that he he was a uh, he had a reported stinger, which we talked about before. Stingers are like stretch injuries uh, towards the neck and stuff like that. And he's had multiple stingers in his career too. Um, but he then. Uh, based on whatever play it was, and again, we don't have a, a, a Twitter link for, for the actual play, he was reportedly very dizzy, and um, they didn't want to put him back in the game, and uh, they've, they've been um, talking about whether or not he's going to go through the concussion protocol at this point. So we don't know. I thought it was an interesting add-in there, um, and we'll see what, what, um, what the Chargers do because this impacts their their running game, and for... One of our partners who has Melvin Gordon on That's his me. Fan, and, fantasy team. And they play Thursday night. Yes, they play Thursday night. Oh, so it's a quick night. turnaround. Yeah. It's them and the Chiefs. That's going to be a game. Yeah, a really good game. It's bond burner. All right, last injury up for the week is uh, Denver Broncos wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders with a torn Achilles. Yeah, so this was a practice injury. Um, not Obviously no video of it, but uh, these ones that happen in practice are always – uh, they're the kind of the toughest to stomach, especially at this point in the year. They're yeah. not. You don't really hear that too often. Yeah, because you you, you would you would assume it's going to be non-contact because there's at this point in the year there there are very few contact practices. Um, most of them are just walkthroughs and that that type of thing. So, but to see a season-ending injury like this, it's uh, it's really disappointing and I'm sure frustrating for the players themselves. And now, just to touch on Sanders, we're getting to the point in the year where these season-ending injuries could affect these guys going into training camp and going into next year. Contractually. Yeah. And, and more so, I mean, ACLs and, and these torn Achilles, they're eight to six, yeah. eight, 10, 12 month injuries. Um, so, I mean, now that we're in the beginning of December, we're basically eight, nine months, eight months out from training camp. So any of these surgical uh, season long injuries, these guys might not be ready now for the beginning of next season. And in this case, uh, insert Des Bryant. I mean, essentially the same age, uh, happened in practice. There really isn't too much of a difference. I mean, Des was still in good shape. Des was still running. Des was still doing all those other things. Um, yeah, Sanders had more game time readiness, if you want to say, or, or whatnot. But it, it shows you. It, it can happen at any time. Right. And um and then we saw last year with uh um uh from the Seahawks now on uh, Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman. Jeez. What a blank on that one. Um but we saw with him, you know, he came in at at the end of the year too with, with his Achilles tear. So just sad, but uh Sanders I think is in his last year. So we'll probably Im- impact him a little bit more too may uh, decrease the amount of money that some team throws at him. And that's why these guys want 
That's why they. That's why, Le'Veon, why they hold out. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. Le'Veon Bell didn't hold out. Because yeah, you can you can get hurt in games easily, but you can just as easily get hurt in practice and non-contact. And that's why these guys want uh, want the guaranteed money and want as much of it as 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 they can, and rightly so. Yeah, can't blame them. Uh, so that's it for the injuries, but we do have an injury update uh, from one that I don't think any of us, any of us are going to forget for this season, and that's uh, Alex Smith's uh, broken leg, the tib-fib fracture that he, he suffered a couple weeks ago. Um, but it sounds like he's having some complications from the surgery. Uh, Waz, you want to take us through some of those and what impact that might have on his future? Sure. So when he actually uh, sustained the injury, one of the things that they really wanted to get him to the hospital for immediately was because the bone was through the skin. Um, so what they do is they typically go in there, they kind of want to get a, a quick surgery to stabilize things, put uh, the bones, everything back in, and put in some hardware. And typically people li- leave, as reported in, in his case, um, you know, after two or three days. However, Alex Smith has been in the hospital for over like three weeks now. Um, so as I said, they inserted some hardware and what happened was now in many cases, you can get, uh, infection. The surgery gets complicated by an infection from, from some sort, from some source. And the complication here, and we hear it all the time when you have like MRSA infections and things like that. Those are staph infections that, that just happen. But the complication here is that the hardware now is uh, getting infected and once that hardware is infected you have to take all of that out there's it's just metal there's no way to to um, sterilize that stuff and initially when all of that is being placed in you're getting you're using some of the bone that's already there to anchor these uh, the plates and screws and things like that Um, more and more surgeries lead to more bone loss and where he had his fracture was over that uh, ankle area so you know, if you touch that ankle, you, you'll notice that there's not much separating the the skin and the bone. You can pretty much feel your bones um, all the way on around your ankle. You know, even if you have bigger ankles or whatnot, cankles, cankles, if you will, you can, you can. It's a technical term, um, <laughs> but uh, you can definitely feel right through it, right? So the other things that we have to worry about is that. He needs a graft um, uh, of, of bone or of skin so that things can heal properly from the surgeries because they're reopening and re, re, um, re-cutting the skin to get access back to this. They're going to place something on his, on his uh, um, leg that will stabilize the leg externally while they take out the rotting and get all the infection kind of controlled. And that's going to stay on for for a couple of weeks, and then that kind of impedes some of the the healing process and and grow um uh, and and wound closures because you're keeping it open and you're keeping this this mechanism on, um, and uh, so you know the more surgeries he's going to need, and he needs at least a minimum of two more, which is just to take off some of this and close up the wounds and so on. Um, he'll need at least two more surgeries and, uh, the more surgeries that they keep telling us he needs, the worse the prognosis is going to be because it means that he more than likely will need either a skin bone or tissue graft to kind of help with the closure of this wound. This makes it harder and harder to heal in general, and it puts his career more at jeopardy. So no timetable for him, but 
all of these uh, are feared complications, and and it doesn't spell or bode well for for Alex Smith right now. It's kind of like what happened in my head. My head surgery, the part that they fixed or they filled the hole back up with is exactly what got infected. So they had to go back in and take it out. It's nice to have a suck hole. (laughs) Also a a technical term. (laughs) The old craniotomy suck hole. The old suck hole. Um, All right. So sorry to hear that about Alex Smith, um, but – a lot of things you just can't control, and that's one of them. Unfortunately, yes, yeah. just gotta kind of do your best, and you know whatever is meant to be is meant to be. Unfortunately, uh, so next we'll move on to the NFL possibly altering the punt play. So before this season, concussions were five times as likely to occur on kickoffs than the average runner punt play or average run or pass play. Sorry, um, making it the most dangerous play in the game. Uh, and punts were next on that list. And last season, they made a change to the kickoffs to address some of those issues. Um, Josh, what was the exact change to the the kickoffs? So a couple things that they did were <clears throat> they they first first thing they did is they moved the touchback from the twenty to the twenty five um, to try to incentivize teams to not return it, give them five extra yards where it used to be the twenty if you caught it in the end zone and whatever now they moved it to 25 so you better field position um and this year they also uh they evened out so the kicking team has an even number of guys on each side of the ball first of all and second of all there's no more running start so, so they start at the ball they start at the they kick off from the 35 so they start at the 35 yard line and they can't move until the ball is kicked so you don't get a running start no running start they also God, that hasn't translated to college though right no no, no. The college has five yards still to run up. Right. But they, college made some other rules of their own that the NFL doesn't have. Another thing that the NFL did was they moved up. Uh, they, I think there's, I think it's a seven, seven guys on the return team have to be within 15 yards of the kick to start. Yeah, you're closing whereas, the gap. Whereas they used to have three to four guys close, and then everyone else was back by the 20 yard line. So now you're setting up for a collision or in the past you're setting up for a collision where now you're almost getting it more so like a punt where the two teams are running down together. Um, the other thing they changed from the return team standpoint is, I mean, 20 years ago they used to have the wedge the wedge busters where the guys would hold hands and there'd be three or four guys creating a wedge for the returner. I was a part of the wedge. It was like the worst place to be <laughs> on the field by far. <laughs> you're creating the your wedge. You're creating the hole. Um and then a suck hole, if you will. Yeah. So that went down from. I wonder why I got that. <laughs> it used to be uh, it used to be three guys, and then you could have two guys. And now this year, for the first time, there was no. Uh, you can have no double team blocks on the kickoffs, and we've seen I've seen that called a decent amount. More so, not on purpose. It just kind of happens. With it's like, hey, there's a guy. Uh, yeah, I'll hit you, him. Like you're trying to block guys, and you end up blocking the same guy as one of your teammates is at the same time, and it's a penalty. So the NFL changed a lot. Um, in terms of the kickoff, um, one, to make it safer, and two, um, to try to incentivize that it not be returned at all. And it, um, it really impacted the onside kicking. Yeah, because, onside kicks are a lot harder just yeah. based on how many guys you can line up and where, where, where you are. Um, in that Chicago uh, Giants game, uh, Chicago converted only the fourth onside kick out of like 38 or yeah. 39 uh, attempts. 
and just from a kind of cynical standpoint, before the NFL changed all the kickoff rules, and I mean, maybe there's less penalties now because because of all the changes for the better. But before the NFL changed all these rules, I I felt like their response to the um, to the safety issue of kickoffs was to throw a flag on every on as many kickoffs as, as they could, again to try to incentivize before doing it from a rule standpoint, try to incentivize the teams to take touchbacks because if you're going to bring it out, we're just going to throw a penalty on you instead of starting at twenty, you're going to start to eight, um, and that's kind of what I feel like they're doing with the punts now. Because they haven't changed any rules with the punts, but there's a flag on 60-75% of punt returns. Yeah, in the article, it talked about how penalized the punt play Correct. is. And I think that's... And how fans don't like and, that. And and I think that's the NFL's first step, because that's how the kickoff was. Three years ago, the kickoff was penalized. Like, if you return the kickoff, you were getting a flag 60... It seemed like 60-70% 70, 70 of the time. Um, and it seems like now that they changed the rule, there's not as many flags on on kickoffs. Um, and I feel like that's what they're doing with the punts. Um, so. Yeah, so they're looking to crowdsource some potential ideas based on data analytics uh, to see what types of alterations to the punt would be most beneficial in reducing concussions and other types of injuries going forward. So I don't think, at least in the article, they didn't like release any data or preliminary data that kind of said like we're looking out for X, Y, Z injuries that happen. Yeah. It's kind of just like a blanket, you know, statement. Yeah. There, it sounds like they're in the process of releasing that data. Is this the evolution of the game, or is this just them just changing the game for no good, or? What what do you guys think about that? I mean, you know, now we've changed the the running kickoffs. Now thinking about changing punting, and I mean, are we changing the game of football a bit? Yes, but it's I mean, for them, it's the it's the obvious next um, public re, public related public relations standpoint um, way to make the game safer. Um, and like I said, with the amount of flags they're throwing on it right now, like it can't get any worse. And it's like, it's a play that you don't, it's just, it's frustrating to watch. Um, but moving forward from there, how do you, how, how do you change it? Obviously you're not going to, eventually we could see a, a day where there are no kickoffs and they take the kickoff of the game. You can't really take the punt out of the game unless, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to see football where there's no punting and you have to go for it on fourth down. Right. I don't think we're going to see that. So how do you make the punt? Or it's like a, a, a frisbee golf play. thing where, like, the quarterback throws it as far as they can. Frolf. And, like, you have to, like, yeah, you can't get into the end zone. It's yeah. like a – Well, more so than that. I mean, that's the – I mean, the first most logical answer is – Take the foot out of football. <laughs> <laughs> to change the punt is <laughs> the, the other team gets the ball wherever the ball lands. All right? So you can punt it. There's no returning. You can try to block it. But if the punter gets it off, wherever the ball lands, that's where you get it. There's no fair catch. There's no There's no anything. I mean, to me, that's the most obvious because how else are you going to – how else are you going to change um, – or how else are you going to reduce collisions, right? Because um, you can't you can't move guys off the line of scrimmage because then you can't – you have no chance of blocking and you're setting up for more fake punt opportunities, especially on, on shorter on – shorter, uh, yards to gain so i mean the only thing i can think of to make it a a non-play is to make it 
there's no punt return. You're just going to punt it and wherever it wherever it hits first, not hits and rolls or hits and comes back, wherever it hits. Well, I like the idea of the Frisbee golf thing. <laughs> but if that isn't accepted by the league, then... Or the masses. I, I always think back, because like, where are the biggest hits on in football? Always when it's a, like a change of field of some sort. Yeah. That's why kickoff, punt, interceptions. Um, anytime where you, you're going one direction, then all of a sudden you're turning around because chances are you're going to get depleted or blindsided by someone that you don't even see. Correct. So to me, no matter how far, no matter if you change the distance that the guys are away from each other, their ability to have a running start, those are all good things in reducing like the mass times acceleration and the force and everything like that. But you're, you're still not accounting for that like surprise attack or that surprise hit that, you know, to me, I think is starting to come become less and less frequent in the game. Like I see guys all the time now when I'm watching games hold up on hits that they could have absolutely depleted someone knowing that they're going to get a flag and stuff like that. But to me, it has to be, that is something that probably would help be helpful to address. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, but because if you, cause if you think about it on a punt, if you, if there's any option of returning the punt, you have 16 to 20 guys running at one person, right? So if there's you can't really change the punt without changing the ability to return it in terms of because that's where the biggest collisions are, right? Whether it's uh, the returner or other uh, people just running into each other. I mean, you're all running to one single point. So unless you take out that one point of contact and the one point of that one meeting place, I don't know how else. Three you're gonna... balls. You have three punters. Then uh, you can return all three of them. What do yeah. you? Nah. That's the suck hole talking. That's the suck hole. I don't know. You know, for me, I think it's about consistency. I think it's about being consistent about calling the penalties that they're throwing. Then you can go focus on the punts. How about we work on just being consistent on calling a helmet rule or call it, calling one of the other, it, you know, roughing the passer rules, all of those things. And then we can deal with the punts. Yeah, but that's, you see how well that's going with the yeah, helmet rule. So. Well, all right, fine, fine. That's way too much to ask. That's my crowdsourcing. Way too much to ask. <laughs> there you go, NFL. Uh, God okay. damn it. Well, speaking of helmet rule, uh, the NFL actually did call a helmet rule this week, and they called it hey. an offensive player too. Uh, Zeke Elliott. Um, we have a video of it, kind of. It's not a Twitter video, but you had to kind of dig for it a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's pretty It's pretty easily it's accessible. Easily accessible. It's, it's right there, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, anyway, but it was actually wasn't that bad. Like, to what? me, I don't... I, well, I mean, he almost I, knocked himself out. I'm not saying he didn't knock himself out. I'm just saying like it wasn't like a blatant, like, you versus me. I'm just going to shove my face in your... Oh, you know, he totally your, lowers his head. He totally intentionally lowers his head and he goes straight at him. Mm, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm impressed that the refs decided they weren't afraid to call it on the offensive player. Not to mention, I hate the Cowboys, but still, you know, that's besides the point. Taking my personal biases uh, out of it, I think it's intentional. He lowers his head. He is the one that 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 initiates the contact, and he. Almost knocks himself out. 
No, yeah, you're correct with everything you said. It's just, and this is kind of what I was feeling before the season started is um, as much as everything you said is true, I mean, that's a play that happens 25 times last week. Yeah. And it just gets called once. So that's the problem that the NFL is, um, I think. Um, yes, was it the right call based on the rule? I think so. I mean, but I also think that they need to call it every time if they're going to call it at all. Um, which is kind of the which is kind of the problem with the rule um, in the first place. But yeah, I, I don't. I think it's uh, based on how the rule is written. I think that's what they wanted to take out. But like I said, I think it happens all the time. It happens. Uh, Josh, you want to update us on some uh, fines in the NFL? Hey, You're, we haven't talked about your boy for a while. It's because he like doesn't play. I got a nice well, student they, loan. He's been hurt a little bit, yeah. That they could contribute those fines to? I mean, I think I might have to write to the NFL. Dear NFL, please contribute to my loans. Use these fines to contribute to my medical education. And you're going to give a crowdsourcing idea for punts. Yeah, I've already given it. It's brilliant. The rule thing. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Um, but we we have a video on on a hit that uh, Vontez that didn't even didn't get penalized for uh, in game, but it was a helmet to helmet hit. It looked like he hurt himself more. Yeah, than did, was this the one that he got concussed? Yes, ah. he just he just flies around, and that's what he, he just flies around a million miles an hour and just does. He's the big biggest example of just no uh, control of yeah. of his own body, and that's one of the biggest things that even if, and he's, with that, he's lost all right to say it's an accident or whatever, just because of the amount of things that he's done, but he just has, he's got, he's got no control. He just flies around, and... Um, I wonder what his brain is going to look like. Yeah, this is a good example of it. donates it to, to science. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> I, I really would be interested. Um. Well, speaking of barbecue sauce... I got that from an article uh, that we're going to discuss. Um, we mentioned earlier in the the intro for this episode, uh, but Nate Jackson's article he wrote a dead sp- in Deadspin. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever written or read articles in there before, but he basically seems like he read Merrill Hodges' book Brainwash and kind of gave his own little assessment um, of it. So I made I took a few snippets out. I'll read them. We'll discuss as we go. Um, but the first one was, uh, it's, it's, this is one of the quotes, is, and glory is a currency in the land of the brave. And he's kind of talking about, like, American culture and how everyone's kind of in search of this, like, this glor- glory, w- whatever that is in that person's head. But also that it come, that quest for glory always comes at a cost. And that's something that obviously resonated with me because – you know, high school football glory, like that's what a lot of American kids kind of grow up trying to achieve. Yeah, exactly. Leave it all out there. Yeah, on the field, yeah. You'll never get it again. Exactly. So to me, I mean, it obviously came at a cost to me, but it comes at a cost to all these guys. And it's all like, well, what's worth it? You know, like these guys get paid pretty well, so maybe that cost outweighs – you know, how much they get paid. Puberty only comes once. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Go out there. Um, so what do you guys think of, of that statement? I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think this is, you know, I, covering high school football, um, y- you kind of get that same similar message over and over from 
coach after coach to their kids. You know, it's the rally cry. It's being remembered in high school. And sometimes for a lot of kids, this is all they'll have. You know, in some of these people's lives, this will be the best moment of their lives, the best time of their lives. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's how these coaches pitch it. And, and such a sad way to pitch things because they've got so much of life left and, and open to them to tell them that they're going to be pigeonholed to this and, and that glory. I mean, you know, you can see why the kids go out there and just are like, yeah. Yeah, you know. It's a good point. The, pro- the problem to me is that it's the example that the highest level sets for the lowest level because – at the highest level, I mean, these guys set up their families and their grandkids and their great-grandkids for life by playing in the NFL sometimes if they manage their money right. There we um, go. So for them, okay, yes, it comes at a cost but and sometimes the greatest cost, but a lot of them come out and say, like, I set up my family for life because of this. So the reward is much greater, but that doesn't always – but you just see um, the cost and what you put into it, and what gets put into it is what – the high school players see. So the high school players want to emulate it, but the high school players not aren't setting up their families for life when they're playing. Yeah, they're nowhere so, near it. Yeah, so that's that's the biggest problem. Um, once you get to that point, if once you get to the NFL, and once you get to that point, you can't blame any one of the any of these guys for doing whatever it takes and playing through injuries and all this stuff because they're one big one big contract away from changing their whole lives and their whole families' lives. And one um, injury from losing it all. Correct. And so you got to get it where you can. But high school kids and middle school kids, I mean, they see people playing through injuries and all this stuff, and they want to do it too. But it comes at a much greater cost to them than. Um, and without the reward, really. And that's I guess it's of... at the core of American culture, right? It's it's more than just, you know, just these random thoughts. It's like that American ideal, that, you know, middle of the country football ideal. Texas, for, for instance, yep. football is, is everything. Yeah. Good points, gentlemen. Uh, next little point that uh, Nate had in there life. was uh, he said that there's good – brain health nuggets throughout in terms of like anti-inflammatory, making sure you're recovering right, you know, hydration, all that good stuff. Um, but it says, but brainwashed, which is the book's title was written mostly to cast doubt on Boston universities and other CTE findings and to declare football as safe. Um, which sounds ridiculous, but I'll go further. And one of the quotes in the brainwash book says football is safer than it's ever been quote unquote. Uh, and Nate Jackson goes on to say that this talking point is repeated throughout the book, safe, safe, safer, safe. If you say safe and safer enough when describing something violent and dangerous, you may change a few minds, but the essence of the game remains the same attack attacks end in collisions, collisions end in trauma. Safe football is an oxymoron. Um, and to be honest, like, I feel like we've said that. Like, you you can only make something violent so as safe as possible. Like, right. at the end of the day, guys are going to get hurt and sometimes, like, life-altering hurt, Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but it all goes back to that cost of glory. Yeah. You know, like, what cost is worth worth it to you? Um, what do you guys think think about that? I mean, it's, there's just, there's so many, and I think we, um, 
think we do need to read this book to kind of develop. Uh, yeah, our, I'm definitely our, going to in the our, off season. Our right. own opinions, um, and everyone, there's going to be different sides of it. Um, and I don't want to sound callous or anything, but this guy is also promoting his books, which is kind of opposite of Merrill Hodge's book. So I mean, he's also he's not. He's not a nobody who's just coming out and attacking it. I He's mean, not unbiased either. He has his own biases and everything. So, and yeah, I, I get it. Football, uh, yes, football is, I think, the safest it's been probably ever. Um, and they're making strides, but that doesn't mean it is uh, no, no one's going to get hurt. Um, it's just that there's so much unknown, um, it's specifically about concussions and CTE, that it's hard to say anybody is right or wrong about it. Everyone's going to have their own bias and their own thoughts, and it's really hard to judge, okay, who's right and who's wrong. Right. And I feel like that that's a great um, speaking point because, everybody, like, like Josh says, everybody has their own opinion, and they're trying to sway you into that. Now, there are other articles that people can read about that. Eliminate the word football and just talk about CTE, the definition, uh, the term itself, and its impact. And then you get an idea of what it is. Then you go and formulate your own opinions about it. You go and apply that to the game of football and formulate your own opinion. You go and apply it to boxing or any kind of MMA sport or high contact sport or whatnot that could be contributed or um, uh, to to CTA. And then you formulate your your opinions. Uh, Merrill Hodge and this and, and Nate Jackson, I mean, they're both going at different ends and they're basically calling the other stupid, right? And what are you supposed to be left with? Yeah, the truth is going to lie somewhere in between, as always, but it's just uh, like... Like you said, it's very hard to uh, kind of formulate a true opinion when you're only looking at CTE in terms of football. Right. That's a, that's probably the best thing I've heard. I mean, if you formulate an opinion on CTE itself as a disease um, and then see its impacts on football, but if you're judging CTE on solely on football and football players, it's you're 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 not looking at the whole picture. You're inherently biased. Yeah. Because who do you know? You you know Junior Seau, you know Aaron Hernandez. Those are the links, and inherently you know good things about Junior Seau and maybe some bad things. But you know a whole lot of bad things about Aaron Aaron Hernandez, and you've already got an opinion about those individuals. And then on top of it, you've got your CTE, and everything gets all kinds of of murk, uh, muddied. So I I think you need to learn more about CTE itself and eliminate the whole sport, any sport from it, and then make your opinions on it. Good points, guys. Very uh, critically thinking. I like that. Uh, also in the book, just I thought it was like an interesting point. Um, he says that Merrill touts Steelers head coach Chuck Knoll, because uh, Merrill played for the Steelers, um, as the technical inspiration for the Heads Up um, program. Uh, which is something that was rolled out by USA Football. We've talked about it on the podcast in previous seasons. Um, we largely thought that it was like a PR stunt in a lot of ways. And it, in a lot of ways, this kind of reiterates that. Because he, this whole article, I recommend anyone read it <laughs> because he has like little funny tidbits like it throughout really the whole thing. that I was like literally laughing out loud yeah. at some points. Um, but this one, he's like, 
Yeah, he says he tells Steelers head coach Chuck Noll as a technical inspiration for heads up, the, the safe, safe way, way to light up a motherfucker <laughs> to light a motherfucker up. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Same foot, same shoulder. Hodge assures us that the kids are in good hands using the methods of a longtime coach uh, of the longtime coach of Mike Webster Webster. The, the Steelers center whose degenerative brain disorder got so bad that by the end he was tasering himself to fall asleep. But that's like that is such an unfair statement right. to make because be, okay, okay, look yes. at the bias, right? Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. It's riddled but with it. It's great. It's yeah. fun, and it's and, and, and it's funny, and he's promoting his angle of it. But I mean, those two things are like they don't have any correlation, and they can both be true. Right. So Chuck Knoll could could yes, he he could have been the father of the heads up, safe way to tackle, safe way to hit, and at the same time. His center, who they played in the 70s with much worse helmet technology and and all this stuff. I mean, both these things can can be true. All right. So just because I also don't know how many centers tackle, but but it's it's it, yeah. So that's that's also comes into it, and it's like, like it's critical heads thinking. up though. Critical thinking. Like, he's like connecting that. these two things that aren't connected at all. Yeah. And it's 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 so okay. So we have a center who had diagnosed with CTE and ended up committing suicide but uh and that's his his coach's fault so his coach nothing that he he did or preached have have any validity because one of his players had CTE like it just it doesn't it it the two don't match up but yes and it sounds good and you can write it you can write it and insert a couple of curse words and jokes and make it seem funny but like the two have the like you're shooting down an argument with facts that don't connect at all to the argument that you're trying to shoot down. It just doesn't, doesn't, it's, I don't agree with that. You know? No, I, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. I just, it's just an, it was an entertaining article to read. Yeah. But, um, you, but you can just like, uh, just with all of his other quotes too, it's just there, the, the biases in, in both directions are just so clear um, that it's just kind of, you can't, it's hard to see through it sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, another point in the book that is something that I actually say frequently, which is something that he talked against, um, is that he said that Merrill Hodge said, but when former players exhibit behavioral changes after their careers, it's not the CTE. Hodge and Cummings say it's because they've lost their purpose, their team, they have no other skills, they can't communicate, their diet is poor, they drink alcohol, they do drugs, they did steroids, they're fat, their partners misremember the moods of their dead husbands. Um, yep, that's one of the arguments here. Their penchant uh, for throwing everything at the wall leads them to some pretty yucky revisionist history. Not even the suicides of young football players are off limits. I'm sorry for your loss, Mrs. Smith, but you're you're wrong to blame it on football. Your son was a drug addict. Um, shit like that. Never mind the damage that's actually uh, seen in areas of the brain on aut- autopsy uh, that are responsible for those feelings and actions. And what I I always I say a lot that I don't ever want to discredit 
CTE, but I do think that a lot of those things that he listed off have to do with their struggles with life after football. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's absolutely. very. I mean, and and this is this is this is the thing about the disease. Like you can't pinpoint it, and all of these things are very much. It's like a internal. It's going to be different for every. Everybody's wired differently, so all of these things can exist, and they can exist with CTE. They can exist without CTE. I mean, all of these things are very much chicken or the egg kind of kind of discussions you, you know because um you just everybody's different that you don't know like some of these people could have problems because of cte some of these people could have problems without it it's like what what comes first yeah you, you, you know what i mean and and especially when it comes to football players like it seems like everyone if you study their brain enough they're going to have some traces of it so what causes what you don't it, it's it's almost impossible to say. I mean, the whole paragraph that you read was almost like that shock therapy, shock literature that they show you. Yeah. you know what I mean, you get all of these things. So again, another bias. But when you look at the science of it, right? The science here is the fact that hey, there's going to be damage done in different parts of the brain that are responsible for different actions that the body does or uh, the body expresses, and that's the science that you need to know, right? That's the importance of it that you need to know. Now, if there's damage in the brain, the question is, did the dam was the damage there prior to the to the athlete starting the sport? Football here is uh, in in this case football. Was that damage there prior? Or was that damage created as a result of all those micro trauma and impacts that they talk about? And does it necessarily have to had to have been from just football? Now, say these athletes did something else where they had you know, stupid things that you play around with your friends with and you bang heads or whatever the heck it is. And you develop some of that there. And there was some damage that was inherently there from other activities that you've done. It is going to come down to that chicken or the egg type of thing. However, the idea here, and I think what people are not understanding or what they should be seeing is the simple fact that damage to the brain in certain areas causes certain types of um impacts to the body and expressions to to the body so you've got to take that part of it and then you can start making your own and formulating your own opinions about this and, and a lot of it in in today's society whenever whenever something i don't want to sound insensitive but whenever something bad happens uh to someone that you love or some someone that you love does something bad or has something bad happen you automatically want to find the reason for it all right this person is not like that. Why is why is this happening? You know what I mean. And in some cases, these like these these can be you can spiral into a drug addiction um, because of many reasons, um, and that doesn't mean you're doing it because you have CTE. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, but with today's society. Um, anyone who played football, you want some, you want anything bad to happen, you want to blame it on something as opposed to just like. Like everybody has not everybody, but people have drug problems. People commit suicide. Like people this have is, shit going on in their lives. Bad every stuff, day. but then, right. but it but it happens, and it, like we want to find an excuse for it now. Um, and it's it it doesn't it doesn't always have to be linked to CTE. As a scientist, it goes back to nature versus nurture, right? If you're put in an environment that that harbors and creates depression and futility, chances are that's what life is going to be like. Now, if you're in a nurturing uh, environment that encourages you to, to survive and, and to grow and flourish, 
you're going to flourish, right? It's that constant battle of nature versus nurture. And, you know, we, we, we're going to constantly have these types of talks just because this person had their, their drug addiction or depression battles with depression and things like that doesn't necessarily mean that it is because of that. And what everybody said in the articles with CTE is that there could be a link between that because the areas in the brain that are affected also are involved in those types of things, addiction or depression. Again, it's a link, right? Nobody can say definitively that, hey, that's what actually happened. And they have not said that definitively. If you want to watch a good documentary on nature versus nurture, quick side note, Three Identical Strangers. Have you ever seen Three Identical Strangers? If you wanted something good, you got a couple hours, uh, Netflix, find, uh, look up Three Identical Strangers. It's Netflix has been doing some real good things. Pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty good. I'll have pretty to good. link that up. Nature yeah. versus nurture. All right. Uh, okay. I think we spent a good amount of time on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just, there's, there's biases on both sides. Both sure. sides have biases and it's, and this one specifically, it's like you said, it's very shock literature and it's, and it's funny and it's got some good lines in it. And the funniest can, thing you said you was very easily got on his when side. he talked about uh, fake news and how the president would love this article or would love this book. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. yeah, he's like the president would love the book brainwashed. It's filled Just, with fake news. Yeah. You throw a couple of jokes in there, <laughs> but like he's biased and he's promoting his own stuff and I yeah, get yeah. it, but it's just, it's, yeah, he's a big cannabis guy. And at the end of it, basically he's saying that cannabis is the answer. Um, and maybe so, man, all right. but it's just, it's got its own. It's, um, that's it. Let's go find a plant and make our own corporation. <laughs> All right, so last point, we're just going to go over the Week 13 NFL uh, Way to Play Player of the Week. And I scrolled past it, and now I can't find it. Jason Kelsey. You take it. Jason Kelsey earns this week's Week 13 NFL Way to Play Award for leading with his hands on this block, setting up Darren Sproles for the touchdown. You can find that link on Twitter, which is... Featured on our page. That's right, folks. You might have earned yourself a job every week. <laughs> it's proper blocking technique. It's it is just, a great yeah. football play. Yeah, That's all it no, is. It's, it's what we're talking about. Great. It's a great block. It's a great play. Um, it, it's impressive, though. It's impressive because yeah. of how athletic the guy is, yeah. how fast he's running, one, to keep up, one, to lead Darren Sproles, and two, he's just mauling dudes. He's mauling. Maybe this is what the NFL wanted it to be the whole time, and we were kind of more hopeful that it would be something different. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's our fault. But yeah, if you don't, I was listening to NFL radio today, and uh, Josh Rosen. Did I, did I make that last name up? That's Who's the quarterback for the Cardinals? For, yeah, that's Josh, Josh Rosen. Yeah, Josh yeah. Rosen. Rookie, yeah. Um, he was on there, and he was saying how if you don't have any expectations, you're never disappointed. And that just reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I mean. Did they? I don't remember. I don't think they truly outlined it as a tackle specific yeah, play no. at the beginning. But we kind of. There were safety undertones, I felt. There were safe. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Safety, safety undertones. undertones. That might be the title of this one. Take that one to the bedroom tonight. Safety <laughs> undertones. We, we, <laughs> so we got. Pineapple. Pineapple. <laughs> week 14 and uh, safety undertones. Promote safety undertones <laughs> in the bedroom. All right, see you next week.